everyone. Thank you for listening to the Teaching Math Teaching Podcast. The Teaching Math Teaching Podcast is sponsored by the Association of Mathematics Teacher Educators, a community of math teacher educators learning to teach math teachers better. I'm your co-host, Jen Wolf, and joining me today is co-host Joel Amadon. Hey, Joel. Hey, Jen. And co-host Dusty Jones. Hey, Dusty. Today we are talking with Dr. Courtney Baker and Dr. Melinda Knapp. Dr. Courtney Baker is an associate professor in the Mathematics Education Leadership Program at George Mason University. Dr. Melinda Knapp is an assistant professor of education at Oregon State University Cascades. We are talking with Courtney and Melinda today so that they may share some of their experiences in mathematics teacher education and their work on proactive mathematics coaching, bridging content, context, and practice. Welcome, Courtney and Melinda. How are you? Doing good, actually. Thanks. Doing well. Thank you. We're so thankful to have you on the podcast today. So if you could just take a minute to each introduce yourselves beyond what we already shared, like what did we miss? Uh, so I am, let's see, so I'm a director of the Mathematics Education Center at George Mason University. Um, and that, you know, our, our, our mantra is for the common good, and we've been doing, or math for the common good. And we've been doing a lot of advocacy work around ensuring that the state standards were going through a shift, um, that they're, we're working with, you know, advocating for research-informed, evidence-based practice. Uh, so that's that's a big piece. And then I'm academic program coordinator of the math specialist program at George Mason. And so I get the the honor of, of learning with and from um, countless in-service teachers uh, in Virginia and even beyond. Wonderful. How about you, Melinda? Um, I, I guess what I would add on is I'm currently a co-PI on an NSF grant um, called Co-Learning, the Co-Learning Mathematics Project. And we're exploring, we're in year four of five of exploring how um, in-service teachers and uh, teacher candidates learn together about equity-oriented teaching practice. So that's a, a big part of my work right now that puts me into schools, which is, you know, one of my favorite places to be. Yeah, it sounds like that's truly your heart work, right? Being out in the schools and working with teachers. Absolutely. So how did you all get started teaching math teachers? Like what got you into it? Yeah, it's, we were talking about this yesterday. And what I, what I think is really interesting is that both of our stories are about individuals who've mentored or supported us. Mm -hmm. um, so for me, it goes back to when I was doing my student teaching way back, way back when. And I had the honor of working with a fifth grade teacher who departmentalized and taught math twice a day in the elementary space. And so she, her office was right across from the Title I math resource teacher, a type of math specialist. Um, and we were just always in that room, always planning together, always working together, um, and really having that opportunity to refine refine our thinking with being able to teach that lesson twice. And when I got my first job at that elementary school, uh, her name is Jean Hoover, and she was so pivotal in helping me transition. My, my office was, my, or my office, my classroom was literally just down the hallway from her. And having that mentoring space, she really truly became this advocate for me. You know, how about you go to this professional learning? How about you go to this conference? Hey, come do this with me. Uh, and ultimately was one of the individuals who, when Virginia first started their math specialist endorsement, handed me the brochure to be in, in one of the first cohorts in the state. And so from there, it's just, you know, continued. 
I don't know, advocacy from others and connections, but she was, she was really, and still is, I think at the heart of the, the start of both my teaching career and the leadership space. Um, that's it. That is kind of similar, Courtney. Um, although a little difference with my story is, um, so I was a middle school math teacher. That's where I began my teaching career. And I sometimes think about how I've fallen into these great opportunities, um, fallen into taking up these great opportunities, but I was able to join a grant to be a, mat a master teacher fellow, an NSF master teacher fellow, um, which put me in some spaces and started training and thinking about um, leadership, right, which was definitely not on my mind as a fourth year teacher. Um, so through that work and through that grant work, I was able to engage in math studio and just a lot of um, school embedded professional development, which really put me together with colleagues where we got to learn and work together um, on a consistent basis. And then that really led to my interest in working with adults um, as well as with students. So um, something that I probably would have never imagined for myself, but um, also had those uh, coaches who advocated for me and worked alongside of me. Um, one of my first math coaches um, who coached me, uh, Jill Board, she works for a teacher's development group, was very instrumental in my sort of encouraging me into leadership. Um, and I think that was really what set that off um, for me is um, just getting to learn and work with other coaches um, just so I could see myself in that space over time, um, little by little by little. So it sounds like mentorship and leadership and advocacy and something that we talked about last season around shoulder tapping and the power in that yeah, so uh, seems to have come through, right? I think I, I think that's actually how a lot of individuals get into math leadership, or at least, you know, as a program coordinator and, and an instructor mm -hmm. in a program, uh, what I find is individuals know someone who was it and they kind of mentor them and support them and guide them. Um, and then they in turn, then take in these responsibilities or, you know, drink the Kool-Aid, whatever, however you want to call it. But then they become also in turn advocates as well. I really like how both of your stories, uh, you get the idea of how you're growing as a teacher, but also you're growing into some other role. I think, Melinda, you said, you know, you were learning to see yourself as a coach or as a teacher leader within those spaces. And that's some someplace, I think, um, that it's helpful to to realize and think about that somebody doesn't just come out of college and suddenly they are a math specialist or a math coach or a math leader. I mean, maybe they are, I mean, certainly they come out and they're teachers, but uh, that's something that we grow into and we're all on a, a continua, I guess, uh, as we grow and, and get there. And maybe you guys have already arrived as the, the ideal math coaches. Um, your faces say maybe not, but uh, I, I like that idea that, that we're, we're growing and we're, um, uh, into that role. Um, and there might be days that we feel like we've got it pretty much under control. And there's other days where it's like, what do I do in this situation? That's great. Love that. It just made me think about when you, you said growing, right. And as uh, math teacher educators, we're always planting those seeds, right. And thinking about the ways that we can 
water and how we can water together. And then we create these gardens. And I think, well, sometimes you want to change things out in your garden or sometimes your gardens expand, right? And you plant more seeds so that we're just always growing. So thanks for bringing that word up, Dusty. That's just made me go off into that land of gardening. Well, to add, just to add on to that a bit, so that all of that thinking actually turned into my doctoral dissertation. So my dissertation was really looking at how a classroom teacher um, sort of develops or becomes a teacher leader and what that process might look like. Um, so that um, that thinking and that work actually has been really pivotal in my development and my ongoing thinking and work. Good. I think it's also been really pivotal to like the book, right? Like in thinking about where that originated from, you know, a lot of, a lot of individuals would ask us, how did you learn to coach? How did you know how, you know, how, what do I do? Right. I, I now have this position and I don't know what to do. And not every place has a preparation program or, right. And so often you're just thrown into some of these situations and, and maybe it's trial by fire or, you know, Skip Fennel often says uh, anointed or appointed. Um, and so, you know, that's, I mean, that's a whole different story too, but that's really at the stem of how we got connected in terms of thinking about you know, how, how did we learn and how, how do we approach our coaching? What's our stance? All right. I got to interrupt then. So that was, that was my question. It was how, how did the two of you get connected? So maybe just elaborate just a little bit on that. Uh, I, you want to start? Well, I, I could just start with, so obviously we share some similar background and thinking and, um, you know, one of the first places we met, I think we decided Courtney was at the Brook Hill conference. Yeah. And I think that might have been 2015. 15. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so, and that was a conference that brought together just a bunch of people who were working in coaching and coaching research. I was very new. I had just been hired at that point. So I was transitioning from a instructional coach, coach or math coach in a district. And I had just been hired at the university. So I was really looking for people who had similar backgrounds, um, had done work in, in research and coaching, and Courtney and I met there. Um, and I think that began some many, many conversations that turned in eventually to our, our book. Yeah. Well, I think too, like the connection for me, and I'll say that conference was in conjunction with AMTE, um, Maggie McGatha uh, and Nicole Rip had coordinated a couple working groups, I think, over the, the previous, the prior years, um, and then worked with the Brookhill Institute to host, I think there's like 24 of us in this entire, you know, work workshop for a couple days. And we went to, we went to Wisconsin. It was wonderful. Um, full circle in our conversations. There you go. And um, thinking about too, like that was a space where I think being a math coach in a building in an elementary school or middle school or high school can be, you know, it, it can be empowering, it can be a wonderful experience, but it can also be isolating because you're often the only one coordinating and you are kind of that that leader, right? It's situated in practice. And I think for me, I was in the same space as Melinda where I had just started at the university um, and I had finished my first year and I was trying to figure out, and I just been tapped to be the program coordinator as well. And so wondering, you know, how am I going to lead the leaders, right? there's that, that meta space that we as math teacher educators find ourselves in. Um, 
and also just looking for connections and other people who do that. I have amazing colleagues at my university and we're, they're fantastic. Um, but I was looking for someone who, who was interested in those very specific same types of, of questions that I had or parallel questions. I should maybe not the same. Yeah. But leadership, teacher leadership, math coaching. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, it's, there aren't maybe as many of those folks around. So trying to connect, you know, I work at a small university, so I'm the only math educator, right? So even just trying to find another person that had, you know, sort of, oh, you're teaching pre-service teachers now, you know, that was, that was a new thing for me, um, but still wanting to maintain my work within service teachers. So Courtney and I definitely um, connected over that. Well, and then it was like this, it was like this like crossing fake kismet thing too, right? Because we met there and then I think it was like eight months later, we went to um, AMTE and then we met, you know, we were in the same type of, you find that you go, especially for coaching and teacher leadership, there's like a specific strand, right? It's very Mm -hmm. focused. And so we found ourselves in the same sessions and then that next fall or, you know, I forget when the conference schedule was, but a couple months later, then we ran into each other at NCTM research. And then there was another Again, type of same sessions. Yeah. It's a small group, right? So, yeah. And, yeah. and so we'd start seeing the same people from the Brook Hill. Like I'll say that type of collaboration that AMTE did with Brook Hill and fostering this, this really, I'll say those are the, that's the crew that I still talk to and is still doing this work. Right. And then in another type of, um, it was an NSF funded grant as well from uh, Virginia Commonwealth University with Amy Ellington um, and that space. And they hosted this um, conference basically for math coaching. And so I think at the end of that one, that was where we really hit it off and ended up, um, I think you had text emailed me and you were like, writing together, thinking about a project we could do together. And that's really where we hatched you know, the, the idea that we wrote a paper, right? We did a little research. We came up with the, with the proactive coaching framework, which at the time it wasn't called that. Um, it had a much longer name that we will, we don't need to say. Um, but <laughs> so that, and we, so that was kind of where this started is this protocol came out of this question of like, how does one become a coach? How do you plan for coaching? How do you think about this? And so this framework that we developed um, was really our brainstorming and our trying to think about, well, what are all the things that we we think about as coaches? Um, and so we developed this framework and did a, a small research study um, where we had some practitioners try it out. And then we uh, wrote an article um, together. And that was really the beginning of our work together. And then that, that initial research got refined. And then that is what ultimately became, became the book along with our, you know, our many different experiences working with different people. Um, the cases that are in the book are really based on situations and people that we know, or things that we have encountered as leaders to really try to think about leadership and coaching pretty broadly, like, you know, not, not just at the school level, but maybe at the district level, um, or maybe a coach that spans, you know, multiple schools. So we really tried to take this protocol. Um, and, and the other thing too, Courtney, and you can add on, but, um, a lot of, I think what's in that book is this idea is how does a coach, um, 
you know, sort of think about their own planning, much like a teacher would, how would, how would a teacher think about their planning? So thinking through a lesson protocol, thinking through planning, we really wanted to see something like that for coaches. Like, how am I as a personally, as a coach going to grow? What's my process? What are the choices that I make? Can I make that more explicit? And and that is what we're attempting to do in the book is making that thinking and that planning process, process very explicit um, but also super flexible because we know that situation and context are different. Well, I think that was something that we, I think that's also where there's this balance between us. You know, my background's more elementary and Melinda's more secondary. Um, her state's common core, my state does it, it does a non-common core. Um, and so thinking about our own experiences and how we approached those, sometimes those those spaces that we were in were not what some might think of as a traditional math coach where you're full-time in one building um 100 of the time so you know maybe you're at the district office maybe you're like you know for me i was part-time for a couple years math coach uh, and at some points my principal found release times for me to engage in coaching even though i was a full-time classroom teacher so i would still teach my kids math but literacy was, you know, I, I, I focused more on math. She's like, here, have the reading teacher come in and teach your kids reading. And then you can go coach fifth grade or second grade. Right. And so I think having those unique experiences in this development of the protocol really helped us to think about the different contexts and how, well, sometimes, you know, there's, there's, there's this whole toolkit of resources that you need right? You can't just use the coaching cycle. You can't just meet one-on-one with people. Those are great tools, but how, what were the things that would transcend the situation? You know, when we first started talking, we'd start for an hour and we just started brainstorming questions. Uh, And I think it's because both of us teach through inquiry. um, And that's our, you know, how we, we come to know. And so I think by that, you know, after a month or two of conversations, we had over 300 questions. Like these are just the questions, right? Because it's a complex, mm-hmm. it's complex. It's like teaching yeah. and it, it it's a parallel to teaching, but me, and, and preparation can look different for teaching just like it does into leadership, right? And so that, that parallel is something that we wondered about and we come up with new questions. And I got to give a shout out to Dr. Terry Galanti, who at the time was at Mason and, and was a graduate research assistant there, um, but really helped us to thematically group and, and pinpoint. So there's there's just these 33 questions in the framework, in the book, um, but they we never say that that's all there are. Like there are probably more, um, but these are ones just to get people started um, and and seeing themselves and identifying as a coach, because sometimes in the coaching literature at that point, I could look at it and say, well, that's not what I'm doing, or I can't do that in that way. So then how do I flexibly change or adapt what I'm doing so it can meet my audience's needs, advance the math contact, but still truly honor that perspective that that a teacher or teachers or administrators coming from or coming with, I should say. Sounds like you all had to uh, really collaborate on, on zooming in and zooming out constantly because of, of having different contexts, right? 
and what would apply or what happens if like I'm a singleton and I'm the only coach or if I'm part-time and you're wearing multiple hats. And so in your collaboration, I wonder, is there a word or a phrase or a quote that kept you all grounded or allowed you to kind of just center the work when you would kind of go in and out and putting on these different hats in that coaching world? Um, I think, I think, um, a word that we've talked a lot about Courtney, um, and something that I try to keep, um, to really center me is this idea of strengths. So thinking about strengths-based approaches or the strengths that teachers bring to the situation. I know uh, a lot of what Courtney and I talk about is, you know, so, Coaching and planning coaching um, is can be very reactive. And that's, you know, that's part of our framework is this idea is how do we become less reactive and more proactive in our coaching is, is really planning ahead and thinking and, and building on the strengths of the teachers that you're working with. What do they bring? You know, what can you help support? Um and and you plan with that in mind, right? So I'm going into this interaction with a teacher or teachers. I'm going in there with that sort of knowledge of those teachers or knowledge of that situation, at least as much as I can, and looking at it from that strengths-based approach. Where can we build from? Um, so I think that was a – I feel like that was a big part of our conversations is mm -hmm. not – we're not fixing anybody. We're helping support and we're thinking about as a coach, what do I need to think about to have that stance if I'm going in to work with people? Um, so I hope that's a theme. I hope that really comes out in our book. I think, oh my God, I love, I mean, that just, I think that's just honors who you are, the Melinda, right? Like, and the work that we've done in terms of the, the questions we ask and, and, and thinking about each of in the book specifically like the different cases because they are grounded in in real experiences um, my word um, perspective uh, because building on that I think something that has been a, a strength of Melinda's and mine working together is that there's always this opportunity of because our experiences were so different um, trying to gain the insight that each other has. And I think that as a collaborators, there's, there's that layer, but then there's also the layer of the need to understand perspective of your audience when you're coaching. So you might not agree with it. It might not, um, it might not be something that you're comfortable with. It might not be something that you know a lot about, but each of the individuals we work with has knowledge uh, to share about mathematics teaching and learning and has experiences and and has have that continuum or that trajectory of that path of how they became to that point and where they are. And so I think I think there's a, a lot of the questions um, are it, that are in the protocol are centered on perspective taking. And I, I think on both sides, both on the context and understanding um, what is it as a coach that you are interacting or who or what are you interacting with and what was their background, but also the content and what is, what is the individual or even the student's understanding of the content? Um, because as a, as a teacher leader, as a coach, as a specialist, 
you know, it's not just the immediate adult audience you're working with, but it's also the other adults in that, in that circle. And then the the students as well. Yeah. And I'll just, one more little thing too, is I think the framework really is helping coaches make decisions. And there, there are, you know, a multitude of decisions that anyone could make at any given time. Right. And, and we know that that's just how teaching is. Right. And so this, the, the, really, the idea is there isn't one way there is, there are many ways. And today I'm going to make this decision because I have pre thought about maybe the reasons why I've set some goals. I've got some things I, I want to accomplish with the teacher or we want to accomplish and then we make some decisions and then we reflect on that. So very much like the cycle of teaching, the cycle of coaching follows that same, really, really that embedded framework that we all have in, in education. Um, and then that, then, then we see how that goes, right? And then we might make a different decision tomorrow. Um, but the idea is that, is that, you know, the framework offers some choices about um, the kinds of coaching activities you might choose. Right. And we can choose many coaching activities. But if I have a goal, um, I might choose a particular one that day or that week or with that group of teachers. Right. I have some thinking behind that. Um, so that intentionality is is really important. And I'll say it ties into that proactive piece. You mentioned the reactive and how I mean, it's similar to a classroom teacher where. 100 things are happening in your day. You get pulled for something. Um, someone has to go to the clinic, right? And so math leaders, math specialists, and coaches have those that same type of job. But one of the one of the research collaborations I worked on with uh, John Bolliard over at West Virginia University, we examined some math coaches and what they what ultimately came out of these interviews was that there there are these three these three themes we found right and the themes were agency agenda and positioning and i think that work also came into here especially like when i just listening to you talk about some of those things you know what's your agenda what's your goals too often in this reactive state you're not meeting those goals um you know and if you're a coach similar to a classroom teacher having 30 students in a classroom and 30 different learning goals you work with a school of 30 to 60 maybe maybe more people and you have individual goals for everyone. So how do you streamline your goals and get everyone to rally around some common language, some common experiences? Um, and so having that agenda as a leader is, is just as important, um, but also how you position yourself. You know, we put, we, I, I think I can say for both of us, like we position us learning from and with the individuals we work with Um and in leadership, it's this this awesome space of agency where you have to believe you can make a difference and you have to believe that you can can engage in that type of activity. Because if you don't think you're going to make that difference or you don't, you won't even try. Right. And it's so how can we help individuals to be proactive and think um, and illuminate that decision making, just like we illuminate the decision making in teaching so that we can learn from our decision making and it becomes more automatic or internal. Internalized might be a better word. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious because um, in your different journeys of 
um, going into coaching, like what advice would you offer someone who's starting out in that role, whether they be like, um, I don't know, a practicing teacher shifting to being a teacher on special assignment, maybe, and they're doing coaching or someone who's only doing it part time. Or, you know, if you're a brand new um, MTE at your institution and now you're doing clinical supervision and want to know what that's like, what aspects or big ideas or starting points could you take away from proactive coaching in that in that work? Yeah, that that it's, it's like a really big question. Yeah, yeah. And I think um it's tricky one. because you're in a position where people perceive you, you know, in a certain way, right? Um maybe as the expert whereas you may not want to position yourself in that role, so learning alongside but also bringing something to the table for everyone to learn, right? That, that seems really important. Um, so I think adopting that um, learning alongside or with colleagues is important, but also structuring things so that we have opportunities to learn together. Um, but I think, you know, depending on where you are, if you're a classroom teacher and you're moving into a coaching role, I think just knowing that leadership doesn't have to be a position. I think that's something that at least I, I learned along the way. Um, and it was a tension about like, well, that's not my title or I'm not really a teacher leader. Why, why are you calling me a teacher leader? What does that even mean? But then just starting to recognize that even little things that you do, um, taking initiative or inviting colleagues to your classroom or, um, taking the lead on small things. I think that is leadership, right? That is like the beginning steps of what you said, Courtney, knowing that you can play a part in goals, in learning, in moving agendas forward, or um, you don't have to wait to be invited, right? It, it, I, th I think that helps, but I also think that that's, that's that tension. And so you know, someone moving into a university position too, I think kind of the same thing is like those little steps that you can take to um, sort of, I guess, just accept that role in a way, but also just say, I don't know everything. I'm learning alongside you and, you know, we're going to learn from each other, I think is really important. And then just that attitude of that disposition of continuous learning is knowing that you're never really done. Um, at least that in my experience has been really helpful because I, I think it keeps you open to new things. Right. Um, so. But there's two that kind of, I had one response and now that you've said that I have a different one and it's like, which one do I go with? Initially I was thinking um, that in these, it, whether the position's formalized or not, um, being intentional about the data you use to tell your story. And so that's that's been something that, I've, for me, as a math teacher educator, uh, working with in-service teachers and, and trying to um, be more articulate about, because too often we in education rely on standardized test scores, right? And 
from my own experiences, I had a principal at one space say, I don't want to focus on the test scores. I want to focus on the stuff. You tell me how you're being effective, but not with test scores. And that I, I look back on that now. I'm like, thanks, Lorraine Edwards. But like also thinking about how much that changed my perspective of how am I going to prove to someone or show someone? And this is the question at the core of the book is, how do I know if what I'm doing is effective and who is it effective for, right? Or to what extent is it effective? And I would encourage individuals to take learning walks with others in your building, highlight others' work, build a portfolio, really draw on everything we know about teaching and education and formative assessment to illuminate the amazing things that are going on in your context. And it's going to depend on where you are, right? It's that it context matters. But I think too often we, we get, as, as it does always, we get in the moment and we do what we need to do, but thinking strategically about how to build that portfolio. And it's especially important because if you are in a space where they are formalizing this, uh, this position, sometimes that funding isn't permanent. Right. And sometimes that funding can go away. Maybe it's a grant funding that gives this space to make it. Maybe the principal is being creative and pulling. Maybe the district has extra funds due to something. But having that portfolio, advocating for yourself, having the, the being able to shout like this is the work I'm doing. Right. It's not comfortable, um, but it's really important because it not only builds the reason for your leadership and experience and expertise, but also your communities. And it shows the amazing things students and teachers are doing on a day-to-day -day basis that are, are sometimes overlooked by others. It sounds like taking those learning walks or community walks around your building and touching base with other folks in the space can help build like a collective movement so that you mm -hmm. feel empowered to be able to advocate for things that you know would be good or could be good if given the chance. Yeah. And builds on other strengths too. So then you can see, oh, you know, Joel does this really well. Let's do this. And Jennifer does this and Dusty does that. And let's, let's do some professional learning with, with everybody as an expert, right? So that they can share what they're doing in their spaces that works for them. So we can hopefully learn from each other. Yeah. So it it like kind of reminds me. Uh, I think it, it's the leader, but sometimes the leader from behind, like you are coordinating a lot of these things and making them happen, but really putting teachers and students in out in front to say, recognize what you all are doing, um, even though you might be behind the scenes coordinating that. I think that that can especially be effective and develop teacher leaderships in a building, right? So you might be a coach, but you're developing teacher leaders too as part of your role is not just working with teachers. It's developing leaders, right, in that building too in some ways to, you know, great if you stay. I mean, I was definitely what Courtney said. I mean, my coaching experience, it was a two-year grant and I knew that going in. And so it's, you have two years just to, to make a difference. Right. And so when you go away, what's going to stay? Um, so, you know, in some ways that's another thing I think that coaches and leaders need to think about is 
What if I'm not here? What What's kind of the things that, what's the residue that's going to stay? Um, yeah, that makes me also think about this idea of you're there, not for an unknown amount of time and thinking about your actions and some of the thing that it's part of our norms when we, we work with, with anyone and it's, you know, being mindful, being mindful of your position and where you go and where you don't go in that position. Right. Because as a, as a leader, as a resource, it's very, as a resource, it's easy and it's comfortable to go with where you're invited. It's easy and comfortable to go in spaces um, that are successful or feel good, but that's also an equitable practice. If you're thinking about you as a resource for others, right? Mm-hmm. And so, especially in those spaces of short time, you know, making sure, and it doesn't. Not everyone needs the same thing, right? And maybe there's sometimes you work with individuals, and sometimes it's teams, and sometimes it's groups, and um, but making sure that everyone is is included in that space is important. So this is both clearly the the hard work that you all put into coaching, right? And you're going into schools and working with people and taking strengths-based approaches to the work that you do and the orientation. So I'm curious as to how do you set different boundaries and priorities around this work so that you can enjoy things when you're not doing this work. You want to go on that one, Courtney? <laughs> oh my gosh. I don't know I if you like want me to go on this. Have a better work-life balance. <laughs> I'm not sure. I, I have not always had a great work-life balance, right? So I'll say historically I started um, both my experience as a classroom teacher and in academia where one experience, my husband walked up, I came home from working from like with the janitor from 6am to 10pm. And I opened my laptop because I didn't finish the thing. And my husband literally slams my not slams gently. He's an IT guy. So it's gently, you know, closes the and he goes, that's enough. And I was like, okay. And then I had, I had a pretty traumatic injury about five years ago. And, and part of not all of it, but part of it, I think was pushing myself too hard, too fast. Um, no break, no time trying to do it all. And so I've had these, this idea, it's the, my words for this year are actually boundaries and priorities. And it's a colleague over at McDaniel, uh, Laura Biddo, she and I, those are our words this year. Um, and I'll say there's a couple of things that help, um, reevaluating them, writing them on a post-it note so that these are my, my priorities and home, family, my horse, my kids, maybe not in that order. That's, I don't know if they actually want them to listen to this podcast now. Yeah, yeah. Although they think they Where do Where does think, the horse yeah. lie? Yeah. yeah, they think it's the favorite child. They're like, that's your favorite child, mom. And I'm like, ah, some days. <laughs> so, you know, I think having those actually, being able to articulate them and having them written down. And then also with the boundaries, planning and holding those times true, it's so easy to let our days get filled up beyond what we have capacity for, both mm-hmm. emotionally, physically, actual time capacity too. Um, and I'll say one amazing resource that when I transitioned to my space, I was an instruct- uh, term or instructional uh, position before I 
went on the tenure track. And when I transitioned, I joined the National Center for Faculty Diversity and yes. Development. Mm-hmm. And I did the FSP program, the Faculty yeah. Success Program. Hashtag, it's amazing. <laughs> yes. And, and I have I have 100% drank the Kool-Aid. I think that's also what Melinda was getting at. It's like, I'm like, so this one time at FSP, this is what we did. Um, phenomenal <laughs> about that. And I just actually this summer finished their post-tenure Pathfinders. And I will put a, a plug in for that as well. Um, I'm going to plug, can I plug on? on yeah, go, tag. There's a lot of like institutional memberships. I know that at the University of Mississippi, mm-hmm. we have an institutional membership. So it's like, yeah. hey, it, that might be a resource you do, you have access to. You don't even know about it yet. So uh, we'll put a link in the show notes for that. Because oh, yeah, be, I'm a big, that'd be big good. Were you a person? Did you go through a cohort or anything? Or I just used the resources in the, you know, yeah. like the, the, just the newsletters, like how to, <laughs> it was like, uh, say no. And then this past week, it's yes. like, how to, how to say no creatively. <laughs> it's like, you know, yeah. just like little, little things, little reminders on uh, almost not, I don't want to say how to p- play the game, but just like, Hey, there is a game like, and, and there's lots of different, uh, lots of different challenges and whatnot. And just to know that you're not alone, kind of like the reason why we have this podcast is like to get in on like these conversations on what is it like to be an MTE and, and, uh, to have mm-hmm. those, you know, initial conversations and ex- advice and expertise coming through, you get that from that end too, as well. And I just, yeah, I love the resources there. Sorry. Yeah, I was just introduced recently, a good friend of ours, Dorothy White, right? She said, Jen, <gasps> have you seen this every semester needs a plan? And I was like, yes. I have not. Oh my God. The strategic plan. I was like, uh, Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Great. That's for projects. That's great. I yeah, literally have my thing. Yeah. That some of you may have institutional memberships and not know about it. So go check that out. Yeah. And you can always email them too. They're fantastic. There's all sorts of resources. A lot are free if you have institutional memberships. And then there's also additional courses, but they do 14 day. Anyway, they could write I drank the yeah, Kool-Aid yeah. and yeah. they super help in terms of me thinking about priorities and boundaries, but it's something that has to keep coming back. It takes work because yeah. it's a slow, right? Like it's amazing and wonderful. And then it's not. Yeah. They got to pull back. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think the only thing I can add on to that, at least what I have come to realize after being at the university for a number of years now is saying yes to projects that are tightly connected, right? So it's like I, I might be working in three projects right now, but there's a lot of overlap with ideas and maybe even people. I think that has helped me manage being busy, but not feeling scattered, busy, just that these are related mm-hmm. projects. Um, and they're very tightly connected to the work that I want to do instead of, I'm just going to say yes to work. It's like, no, this is the work I want to do. This is close to, um, you know, the stuff that I really care about and I'm interested and I'm also researching. So I think that helps the boundary because you feel less scattered um, yeah, just being very intentional with your yeses and thinking that through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you all have a lot of things coming up, I know, since the book came out. Um, what are the resources? What are some resources you'd recommend for those interested learning more about proactive coaching? Wait. I think the book itself is great, right? Like, <laughs> I'm really interested in these 33 questions because that was right. the narrow down, the narrow down, right? To 33. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah, 33. And, you know, everything from picking what's your math content to, you know, what initiatives have been tried or failed at a school, right? So what's the what's the culture like? Um, I think if you're looking for, a, for me, a quick go-to, what I love about the book is it's a compilation of like eight years of our work together, right? Wow. And what we try to do is to honor all, all of the work that we draw on on and celebrate in our, in our work. So, um, advocating for our coaching community. Right. And so trying to give each, each, each of the cases, um, we want everyone with different leadership identities to be able to see themselves in the book. Are you a high school teacher? Are you an elementary teacher? Are you part-time? Are you full-time? Are you at the district? Are you at the school? Um, you know, we, we were really intentional in that. We were really intentional in, the coaching practices and making sure that we referenced some pivotal articles and, and, and illuminating that. So that's another space to, to check out the articles and the research within the book. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Each else? the, well, the chapters um, five through 11 focus on particular coaching practices. And we drew, um, we drew on Dr. Lindsay Gibbons work with, um, around the coaching practices. And I think that's a really nice place to start. We have lots of references there to learn more about these particular coaching practices and the research behind them. We're offering these as not the coaching practices, but some coaching practices Mm -hmm. that are, you know, um, that there's a research base behind. So I think digging into those a little bit more, um, a lot of what we cite in our book, um, we tie into principles to actions and catalyzing change. So that is a big link in our book is is this idea of how do you catalyze change as a coach, right? So we we draw on that work as well. So I just feel like there's lots of okay. things that you can read and then go and explore more, right? On the with these um, outside people that that we drew on in our own work. Yeah, I'll even say like the cases, each of the cases we tried to illuminate. So we also, and it's in it's in like chapters one through three or the preface or somewhere, but you know, we use the math teaching practices as a core set of practices for what to focus on in teaching. But one of the cases focuses on the, was it the equity standards. Um, or right. So there's other sets of standards and things that you can. You know, we're, we're very open with these questions hold true. The ultimate goal is to think about content and context. And it's this balance, right? We can't just focus on the math and not attend to the humans. And we can't just focus on the humans, but never get to the math. Mm-hmm. And I think that's as a core of where the book came from, because often in our work, um, you know, well, we ha- we didn't get to this yet. And it was, it was good that we recognized we needed to go there, but the the humans and the math are at the heart of heart of the work we do. And I like how you blend the three, right? It's not like because you I, I feel like as a math teacher educator, I always hear content to practice, content to practice. But what about context? Mm-hmm. And so having all three, like, okay, we have the content and the practice, but within these contexts and these different contexts. So I like how you've blended the the three together. You all are you going to be out at any conferences soon or webinars or anything coming up where people can learn more about proactive coaching? Well, as a matter of fact, <laughs> um, well, we have a live Instagram tonight. Um, 
seven o'clock Eastern. So we're not going to be that fast with the re- release <laughs> right? of this podcast episode. I don't um, think. Scratch that. Oh, but we'll but keep it, it there. Re- it is going to be recorded for yeah. members. Yeah. Yeah. Be recorded. So, so you can, as you're listening to this podcast, you can immediately go to the Instagram <laughs> NCTM <laughs> feed and, and right. get on that. Um, and then we're also going to be presenting at uh, in Washington, D.C., at both NCTM and NCSM in late October. There you go. That is coming up. Um, uh, we're starting a book study tomorrow, which also – but um, some of those resources, we're going to see how this goes. And it's mm-hmm. NCTM has been phenomenal um, to work with in terms of thinking about – um, how to help get the book into to more hands of more people. Yeah, I so got an email mind. today that was for the book study, and I was like, what great timing for this. So, um, <laughs> and just to plug the book study, um, you know, buy the book. We'll put the links of the books and the book study in the show notes. But it looks like every couple of weeks there's another session. Uh, but what I, if I'm reading this correctly, um, if you get started late, uh, the previous sessions are recorded, so you can go back and catch up on some of that. Is that that's correct? That's true. Awesome, awesome. So that's nice because this could also be set up as like a book study that you're doing on your own. If the timing just doesn't work for you, like that's already okay. Yep, good. Kind of fit it in where you can. You know, part of that boundaries and priorities, right? Figuring out yes. where you can fit those things. Mm-hmm. This is all fun stuff, though. Uh, it's been you know many many years so we're excited that we're to this stage what are you all what are you both most proud of in your collaboration like you've been together like eight years doing this work like and now it's out like it's out like what are you most proud of Hmm. well I don't know proud is the word, but what's exciting is that, um, Courtney and I are still excited to work together (laughs) and we, we're just, we're just trying to continue to learn. Right. So when this gets into the hands of practitioners out there, we want to learn more from them, right? How are they using this? Is it working? What, you know, what did we get right? What did we not get right? And so I just feel like, again, that idea of growth and, and change, but, the fact that we still love working together. That's really fun for me. And then we can have like all these adventures. And I'll say even that our, our families are super supportive of this work. Um, shout out to the families. Yeah. Shout out to the families, um, especially the, the partners. Um, and the horse. And <laughs> yeah, it's not like that <laughs> emotional, emotional support being. Um, I, I think it's the we can go through all of these ups and downs and just all the emotions of being a math teacher educator, mm. you know, whether it's cyclical with the semester or the quarter, whether it's about accepts or rejects, whether it's um, just life happening, you know, that there's, there's, I don't know. It, it's one of the things I really appreciate about you, Melinda, is how we humanize our own work and how we both are constantly learning and want to learn uh, in this process. So, yeah, thank you both for the opportunity to continue to learn from and with you. And I know our listeners are going to love listening back to this uh, wonderful um, podcast. So thank you both. Thanks for the opportunity. Thanks for having us. Yeah, I really appreciate it.
Thanks again for listening to the Teaching Math Teaching Podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to the podcast. We hope that you're able to take action on something that you just heard and interact with other math teacher educators. Also, did you know that AMTE has another podcast, the Mathematics Teacher Educator Podcast? The MTE podcast accompanies the latest edition of the Mathematics Teacher Educator Journal and has authors discuss the work they've submitted for publication to their journal. Find a link to the MTE podcast in the show notes for this episode.